welcome once again to Yesterday Ladies. This is Dana. And Heather. And today we're talking about... Makeup. Makeup. Yay. <laughs> the history of makeup, which... Yes. Um, I was kind of excited just from the get-go uh, by this topic, but you were saying, you were kind of like, I chose this one, clearly. I chose this topic. And Heather, your first reaction was... <laughs> I was like, eh. <laughs> but then... But I was doing the historical research, and of course, anything with a historical background, then I get into. So I realized it was more exciting, more interesting than I had anticipated. Of course and it was. Well... <laughs> because, you know, it's interesting, and a few of the articles that I read, and that I think you read too pointed out the fact that um, the history of makeup, like it may seem on the surface a little frivolous or whatever, but mm. really when you start diving into it, it because it's in general and throughout history so much more associated with women than men, and it's so much a part of women's daily lives and has been throughout history, it kind of becomes a, a history of women and their mm. daily lives. Yeah. And, so that makes it kind of more important and more interesting than it would seem at mm -hmm. first yes. blush. Oh. <laughs> oh, whoa. And the puns come out. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found the more it mirrored women's social status, mm -hmm. the more interested I became. And I thought, okay, this is kind of a barometer for women's issues and, and, and women's positions. So Absolutely. Okay. And then it's very sciencey too. There's kind of like a science angle, which is... Yeah, there really is. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. And as we'll get into, there's it's so interesting the i mean we still have this debate today about the things that are in our products our makeup mm, and cosmetic yes. products and yep. issues with you know things that may not be the best for us mm -hmm. um yeah. i think that was a little more blatantly true in some <laughs> eras when they were using things that like lead right like it, it wasn't like there was an ingredient it just was it just was the lead. poison yeah, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is just a poison yeah, <laughs> yeah. like wait why are we dying from this oh god <laughs> yes oh so makeup has a very checkered past yes it does um i was thinking that too that when we were doing the research i thought you know all these dangerous chemicals and yet still today we're having this discussion about is there lead in lipstick mm -hmm. or yeah you know, that's what, true these carcinogens or toxic chemicals in our makeup right and people have this old mineral makeup and yeah. organic natural makeup and this, yeah. so yeah it's the the discussion continues mm -hmm. yeah the lead and lipstick thing that seems to come up yeah uh, every so often again yes like, concern yeah. over that yeah. which obviously is <laughs> Concerning. Concerning. Yeah, absolutely. I don't understand why. Like, shouldn't they just not be putting lead in lipstick anymore? <laughs> can, can we just get lead out of yeah. everything? For goodness yes. sake. <laughs> we got it out of paint for walls. Yeah. We should not get it out of paint shouldn't be putting for it on our, our lips. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so I think we both came across a rather awesome uh, quotation. So we're going to go right back to early human history to start this podcast. And as a nice way to kick that off, I've got a lovely little quote here from uh, Plautus, who was a Roman philosopher. And he once said that a woman without paint is like food without salt. So there you go. There we go. He likes his ladies with a little bit of color. Not every man throughout history has, yes. but Plautus did artists like his, his painted ladies yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um all right so i'm going to cover some of the older history and then dana will take us through a little bit more modern times um but when we we're doing our research we found that the history of makeup spans at least six thousand years and some sources were saying back as far as ten thousand years mm. i think it's sort of a, a very consistent thing that even if we don't have archaeological evidence of makeup it was probably you know women were probably trying to enhance their looks um before even recorded history so yeah. uh so i found that interesting um and the first kind of big makeup society uh were the ancient egyptians and what's interesting about them is that makeup was not just for women it was for men it was for all classes there were no restrictions they were just like huge egalitarian fans of makeup. yeah very and it's interesting again one of the sources that we were looking at was pointing this out that the ancient egyptians had a yeah a more egalitarian society in in some ways, mm -hmm. um, particularly for women mm -hmm. um, who were able, as they haven't always been able to do in history, but they were able to own property, mm -hmm. to um, bring um, legal cases against men in mm -hmm. the courts, mm -hmm. um, inherit inherit things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yep, absolutely. So and. Also really interesting is that in Egypt, um, makeup sometimes was linked to religion or ceremonies. So it had um, ceremonial purposes as well as just daily use, like beautification. Um, so I thought that was really neat. It's very kind of all pervasive in their society. Um, and so they were developing some of the world's first cosmetics. And 
most famously the Egyptian eye. Mm -hmm. So they would use this um, compound called coal, uh, which we still have coal-colored eyeliners today. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's coal Mm -hmm. spelled K-O-H-L, not coal as in C-O-A-L. Thank you. that does come into modern cosmetics. That's true. That's true. And you might think this black eyeliner would be coal as in the... Yeah, Rock. But, it <laughs> but it was not. Yeah, mm. I, I remember being confused the first time I ever heard the term <laughs> coal. Uh, so they would make it by combining minerals and sometimes burnt almonds or other kind of burnt um, substances to kind of get charcoal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would use that to line their eyes or define their eyes. And that was both genders. And it was very heavily um, applied. They had this dark, dark eye. Um, and part of what I was reading about that is that it's good for men and women. It was especially good in the desert for the mm-hmm. sun. Um, the way like football players or baseball players will put black um, paint under their eyes, it kind of had the same effect, like a an anti-reflective effect, um, almost like sunglasses. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like the Egyptian sunglass <laughs> sort of. It, to- when you, it totally makes sense. It, that this it does. came up in, yeah. in this civilization that was you know, in a very sun intensive part yes. of the world yep. out in, you know, many areas were kind of desert and very hot and hmm. it makes so much hmm. sense. I know. I was like, that's really cool. I never mm-hmm. thought of that before. Um, and it also arguably had to do with the concept of the, the um, evil eye. Mm. So it offered some protection against, uh, you know, people staring at you with ill intention or giving you the evil eye. You're Dana. not wearing your coal and I'm <laughs> giving you the evil <laughs> eye. So you better watch out. She's cursing me with her eye right now. I'm wearing mascara. <laughs> not good enough. <laughs> not, not enough. I need some coal. <laughs> um, and many societies, uh, many early societies, um, and some even today, will paint an, an eye on the prow of their boat to protect the boat against bad fortune and people giving it evil stares, um, this sort of thing. So it's still a very Egyptian-looking eye. Um, this happens a lot in Greece, and mm-hmm. uh, some cultures have jewelry with this kind of that motif built right in. So, um, yeah, that kind of pattern or motif repeats. We see it still so today. It's interesting that they literally kind of had their eyes <laughs> done up to protect them against yes. the evil I yes and i thought it was neat that it was associated with their religion with their morality and with this prevention of evil because later makeup starts to get a bad rap but at this point it was protective influence or yeah you know, exactly. sort of a religious thing whereas we're more familiar with religions frowning on the use of makeup mm-hmm. than the opposite so we should mention too that the egyptians uh, their yeah their makeup is kind of best known for that coal that eye mm-hmm. that heavy dark black eyeliner look um, but they also used other cosmetics. They mm-hmm. had a form of lip coloring. Famously, mm-hmm. I think Cleopatra used ground up um, beetles. Yes, carmine beetles. Carmine beetles, yeah. 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 And mixed what... them with ant eggs. Did <laughs> <I remember? laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there were a couple other things I had here. What was it? Um, uh, by 4000 BCE, their cosmetics had gotten a little more sophisticated. So they would have started with more oils and herbs, um, mm-hmm. the way we would kind of use essential oils today, right, for moisturizing. I mean, the desert is very dry and, and very windy, so it would be more like sunscreen and like moisturizer. Um, and then they kind of got into more um, decorative or cosmetic makeups. So they came up with a product called Galena Mesdemet, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, no, but that was. Know. We will see. Uh, that was copper and lead ore. And this is the first sort of appearance of our not our frenemy le- <laughs> lead. <laughs> because they, it does so much for our complexion and it's so deadly. <laughs> so um, lead is like a consistent theme in women's yeah, makeup really all the way is. through. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say it didn't disappear until, but like we're still, we're like, still, we're still talking having about, these issues about lead. Yeah lipstick and that yeah so they would mix these two and that would be for the face um and they had malachite which is um a mineral it's a bright green mineral um and it's from copper and so they would grind that up and have this bright green paste uh for their face and they used it for defining and i was picturing sort of like 80s like mm. blue, aqua blue eyeshadow mm. <laughs> but i don't know if they used it on their eyelids it just said it was for defining yeah, their face point. so i thought so maybe they, they used it like contouring yeah that's what i like thought i thought like under yeah, yeah like under, under cheekbones, cheekbones contouring yeah, or something. I was totally pic- picturing um, Elizabeth Taylor uh, yes. as Cleopatra, yes. you know, with like the crazy <laughs> green eyeshadow, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true or not. So we'd have to go to the hieroglyphics and check it out and mm-hmm. see where they were using malachite. Um, yeah, so those three kind of together, the pale, paler skin and very dark to find eyes and apparently some bright green. Um, those were kind of the 
three key things that I had read about the Egyptians and their makeup use. So that was neat. Oh, and a great detail that I found was uh, just showed how important makeup was to Egyptian society because uh, they said that women, Egyptian ladies, would carry cosmetic boxes to parties oh, with them this. and put it under their chair and then they could just touch themselves up like right at the dinner table or at the banquet. Hello. <laughs> I was like, that's great. Now we're stuck with like clutches. You know, we've got to yeah. stick everything in a clutch, but like they would just bring the box along. And I know. Why you can't I touch up. bring my makeup bag well, to the next cocktail party? I suppose I could, but it just would not be chic. I need my little clutch. Chic. And they so. could only fit, you know, like a lipstick and that's it. That's all you get. Um, and they found makeup kits in Egyptian tombs. So they <laughs> because were, you would because need, it, you in would need it in the afterlife. Yeah. So how are you, you know, especially if you're a mummy, you're going to need some help. So <laughs> it's a good point. It's like, you know, you're going to need it more than ever at that point. <laughs> now, I'm picturing, now I'm picturing like a, 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 a like horror movie mummy with like smears of, of like Gross. a gash of red lipstick and Gross like pancake makeup all yeah. encrusted in the bandages. Uh, all right. Well, that's. <laughs> that's a great image for all of you they say podcasting isn't a visual medium but i disagree <laughs> i think we are making it one <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um all right so that's kind of a, a basic picture of the egyptians and uh, we move forward to history in history a little bit um so we're around 3000 bc um and uh, the chinese had quite a bit to do with makeup um and i was really interested to hear how they worked uh, nail polish or how nail yeah. polish uh, nail color um, played in their society so they would paint their nails uh, very commonly but it had a lot of meaning and it was highly controlled as well so only the upper classes or the royalty or royalty could uh, paint their nails and during the Chu dynasty uh, you could paint them silver and gold and that was sort of the the upper level nail polish color um, and later royals would wear black or red so that was the preferred uh, nail color of the elites so goth so goth i know i thought black nail polish it, <laughs> it makes me think of like chinese art and like yeah. what i imagine when i think of chinese history it's like yeah. totally different like yeah oh now everyone has red nails <laughs> it's like a shockingly modern kind of detail to add right yeah. and uh but the lower classes were forbidden from wearing nail color so this was just one way to differentiate between aristocracy well, geez, i mean it would probably chip off with all that manual labor it's, anyway right a lot so. of manual labor yeah, yeah. i think yeah. nail polish is only for the <laughs> semi leisurely <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely except now you can get gel manicures and you can do whatever you want so hey it's it's egalitarian now <laughs> that's right we've uh, come to a point where it no longer signifies your Hooray. class Hooray. <laughs> so um uh okay so moving forward to uh grecian society so grecian women were definitely operating on uh, one of the videos we were watching it was showing they were uh they wanted less being to be more, mm -hmm. so it, it well, should be very natural. That video was kind of pointing out um, the difference kind of between the Egyptian mm. um, theme, I guess, which was more egalitarian, mm -hmm. men and women, um, bright colors, a much yep. more obvious look. And then Greece, ancient Greece, was a much more patriarchal mm. society, and the men... It, get, it gets into what we'll see later with the Victorians, this kind of idea that, like, you know, you don't you don't want to be too painted. It's unsightly and, like, a natural face and white and delicate and, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it was definitely tied to morality and women's morality. So they, they were going for less makeup. Um, but they would still use white lead or chalk, so sort of a dusting on the face to lighten um, your skin. And they were using things like crushed mulberry or, um, you know, we're seeing other fruit used um, to like darken stains. the lips or, yeah, stain or rouge um, or red clay sometimes. Mm -hmm. so they could use like a natural red pigment. Um, and apparently our favorite detail, <laughs> our about favorite the ancient detail yes, is that they really had a thing for eyebrows and they loved eyebrows and uh, it was great if your eyebrows met in the middle unibrows were, De were desirable yes yeah. and they would sometimes create fake eyebrows out of oxen hair and then like paste them on which seems ridiculous I, it does great. seem ridiculous but think of all the things you know hair extensions so many things are ridiculous right yeah. we do yeah. we do probably even more ridiculous things it just it does seem awfully silly. <laughs> it, just, it just seems like it would look so creepy on someone's face, especially if it's like an oxen hair unibrow. <laughs> like, like some woman is like pasted on a joiner between her eyebrows. I, I'm picturing myself at a Grecian banquet just staring at horror and my seatmate like, oh God. And what if they came off and it would be flapping around and oh, like it just falling so into terrible. Soup. Yes. <laughs> falling into people's Grecian banquet dishes. Well, everyone would be judging you for your lack Not of unibrow, really. Heather. 
I girl is sparse. <laughs> we, we need to get her some oxygen. Her sad little eyebrows <laughs> withering away on her face. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yes. Yeah, so the Greeks liked eyebrows is <laughs> the, the message of that. <laughs> and, um, okay, so jumping forward ahead in time, we go back to um, Asia and Chinese and Japanese citizens um, could use rice powder to whiten their faces, which is, which nice. sounds a lot. Yes. Yeah. Less toxic than lead. Than lead. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Although later, um, geishas did end up using white paint that was very toxic, I believe, because it did um, contain lead and it would just ruin their skin um, besides having other health effects. And uh, you could almost tell who had been a geisha when they were younger because their skin was this horrible sort of mottled or like wrinkled appearance. Um, and I remember reading sort of more modern books like uh, World War II, you know, people would see old, old geishas in the streets and you could tell that they had once used that makeup um, on their face and their neck because it had this terrible appearance and oh, it was dear. just like terrifying. Yeah. So anyway, that's jumping much farther ahead, but uh, at, at this point earlier in history, so 1500 BCE rice powder was a safer alternative. Yeah. So this is good. Um, and they would completely shave their eyebrows off. So the opposite of the Greeks <laughs> and, uh, Ooh, they would paint their teeth and this, yeah, yeah this came up a couple of times and I went, Oh, <laughs> because Ooh. our society is so obsessed with whitening teeth that mm. to paint them anything just seems like <laughs> surreal. No, um, I saw they gold sometimes. Gold. Like, yeah, that is, is so crazy. I know. I thought all these guys with gold teeth, like, <laughs> owe it to these ancient Asian civilizations. Who knew? <laughs> um, or black. Ooh, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't get that. Is, yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> but there's quite a few societies that do that, right? Like, yeah. um, even modern societies that chew the, the betel nut or betel nut, I, don't, mm -hmm. I can't remember its name, it blackens their teeth and it has become like a social signifier that you belong to that group. So people will purposely chew the nut to blacken their teeth. <laughs> Just, it's a uh, yeah, completely opposite of what we're used yeah. to striving for. And it just it goes all of these things really go to show that beauty standards are, are largely socially, so socially constructed. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. they're so varying throughout history and across the world, even in modern times. So yes. yeah, it just yeah. goes to show. And so subjective. So subjective. Yeah, it's yeah. just wild. Um, and at one point um, in northern Japan, uh, there was a trend for tattooing young women with mustaches on their upper lip. Really? Yep. It's fascinating. So if you look that up, if you Google that separately, you'll see that it was like only the most northern islands in Japan hmm. had this tradition where young women would get mustache tattoos and they they were considered the most desirable. And I thought that's odd because that's uh, mimicking a masculine feature. And I yeah. Thought, oh, that's like usually the opposite hmm. um, yeah. of what makeup is striving for, right? You want to emphasize the, fe the feminine. And, mm -hmm. and so anyway, that's, that's your little tidbit of the day. Um uh, henna also comes into play around this time. So henna dyes for hair, which still exists today. Um, and that kind of migrates. I didn't realize this, but it started further east in Asia and then migrated into India. Yes, so, I didn't realize that either. Right. So that was interesting to find out. Um, so it spreads to India where they're using it for hair dye. And um, as we're more familiar with today, um, hand and foot decorations, especially before Hindu weddings. So which we still going, we still see happening uh, very commonly today. And okay, jumping even Further forward, um, the Crusades started bringing in cosmetic goods into Europe um, because before this, it would have been sort of dark ages and more of a survival situation um, right. than anywhere that uh, makeup or cosmetics or frivolities would have flourished in any sort of right. larger and scale. I was reading again, like during the the Middle Ages, the medieval period, the Dark mm -hmm. Ages, whatever you want to call them. Um, it, again, it was. I mean, it was interesting, that period in, in mm -hmm. Western history, because it definitely was a kind of a big step backwards in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Not as much as maybe sometimes we make it out to be, but mm -hmm. it does, you know, compared to the advances of um, the Egyptians yes. and Greece even, and Rome. And even the Middle East at this and point. And the Middle right? East, developing exactly. Like philosophy and mathematics. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you've got this kind of little dark hole. <laughs> <laughs> Europe, Europe is just going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, a little feudal. stagnating, almost going yeah. backwards. Yes, and, yes. And one of, the, one of the things that defined that era was a pretty rigid um, patriarchal. Mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. it seems like whenever you get these particularly patriarchal um, periods, the, the tendency towards makeup is, you know, less is... Yeah. is 
better. <laughs> that more is sinful yes. and less is better. They seem and, very you know. concerned with women's purity. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. And their trustworthiness. Good girls do not paint their faces. No. Yeah. No. And yes, uh, trustworthy. Yes, I thought that was interesting too. This kept yeah. coming up. The idea that like, well, if she's painting her face, then she's presenting herself as something she's not, mm-hmm. and therefore she is not to be trusted. Yes. And even no, I don't think it was during this period, but like later on. I forget exactly when that's awful, but there, through, I think multiple times mm-hmm. there have been complaints yeah. that like, oh, you know, she, she tricked me into marriage with her beautiful yes. face and then yes. she takes it off. And now I'm like <laughs> married to this horrible looking woman and I should be able yes. to dissolve, divorce her, or sue her, or whatever. I have that note as well. It's from, yeah, it's actually from the 1770s. Okay. Britain. I knew it wasn't quite yes. Victorian. We're not there yet, but yeah. I, now that you've brought it up, I'll mention it because it's phenomenally it's bizarre. Yeah. yeah. That uh, British Parliament actually passed a law in the 1770s. 70s um that that made makeup almost on the same level as witchcraft because it was so deceptive um and so men if they felt they had been tricked into marrying a woman because of her makeup because this falsely beautiful appearance she gave um could uh ask for an annulment after uh once he realizes what she actually looks for yeah, looks the next like. day and she's thought, oh, washed God. her face and <laughs> <laughs> it's like the morning after <laughs> like a one-night stand but instead you've married her oh god <laughs> and um really really interesting there's a modern equivalent to this that i've brought up with a few of my classes um with um surgery like a plastic surgery or cosmetic oh. surgery um and there was a case case in china of a man who had married a, a very attractive young woman who had undergone a lot of um, cosmetic surgery before he met her. So he didn't know what she looked like originally, uh, married her mostly based on her good looks, which is problematic great. to start with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great job. And then when they had children together, their daughter was extremely unattractive. And he <sighs> realized that his wife was formerly unattractive and is upset because now he has an unattractive daughter, which is like every shade of awful ever um, and wanted to divorce his wife and wanted like compensation for all of this. And I guess they had a son and a daughter and he was okay with his son's looks, but his daughter's looks were so awful that he just couldn't believe this was her child and that she looked like that before. And yeah, it was just awful. So I thought, you know how, how shallow right mm. uh, you know, that all of this was based on looks and yeah. but it's really the modern day equivalent of this yeah absolutely this kind of law. so and this case was in the the chinese courts going through about this relationship so so anyway that's yeah <laughs> you can you can oh, google gosh. that as well and yeah. check it out well, sorry to skip um, around a little yeah, bit yeah no sorry that's okay so we'll go back to um so we we're talking about the crusades they brought in things like perfumes cosmetics right coming up from uh, further south in Europe or the Middle East or the Mediterranean um, and sort of introduce these things um, to European society. And I love, love, love that during the medieval period, there is this weird obsession with like foreheads. And so women would like shave back their hair to give themselves like long um, oval faces <laughs> yeah. and they would push their hairline back. It's funny because you do, you see that in like illuminated manuscripts, mm-hmm. yes. you know, and you think like, is, is this just like a weird artistic right. style that right. like everybody went by? <laughs> but no, it was depicting yep, like a, a thing. A real thing. <laughs> women would just like rub off the hair or shave off the hair or pluck out the hair to make their foreheads higher and... It's, it's rather bizarre mm-hmm. but it, they were wearing a lot of wimples right and a lot of right. head coverings too so i think it was like you didn't want hair coming down showing on the front below of the wimple yeah, yeah yeah i think so so um and then there was some discussion about the fact that they were they were still <laughs> using white lead um as a face paint our old friend oh her <laughs> old friend white lead and uh, and that that might have caused some hair loss and so the two could be connected oh i was reading that that was more Elizabethan. Mm-hmm. Okay, perhaps, perhaps. So, but we'll get to that. We will get to that. Um, okay, so jumping ahead to the Elizabethans. So we're talking, you know, so, um, a couple hundred years later, or a couple hundred years. Yeah, forward. we're talking. I mean, the Elizabethan era. I think she came to power. Oh goodness, we just talked no, about we this. Just we did a whole podcast about Elizabeth. Well, it was in first. The late 1500s. Yeah, she. Well, um, kind of the second half of the 16th century so mm-hmm. i think 1552 might have been when she right uh, ascended to the throne and then like 1602 or three i think is mm-hmm. when she died yeah um so she good for she reigned for a good long time mm-hmm. and uh had a big impact on kind of the look of the period absolutely um so there was this term they used for her look which was created 
with white lead and it was called the mask of youth yeah <laughs> which is terrifying yeah. <laughs> oh god it sounds like a horror movie it does um and also it became very fashionable at this time to dye your hair red mm. she was a redhead <laughs> famous so yeah you'd want to imitate the queen um so lead and vinegar were mixed into this ceruse or ceruse uh this sort of paste mm. that you could apply and uh some of the research we were we were doing was showing that it was popular in venice as well that venetian right. ceruse was a very exclusive um, yeah again paint. venice the 16th century and it seems as though the venetian upper classes uh were even more kind of mm, fashionable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. than the english elizabethan and they yeah they were big on like very very uh kind of fuchsia colored blush and you know that kind of idea we have of the like the black like the beauty marks in like yes. like a star in the sun <laughs> kind of thing on your on your cheek and that kind of thing so they were even more flamboyant mm-hmm. or the more more flamboyant than the elizabethans who totally went for the white face mm. but not so much other yeah, like colorful extra, features yeah extra details uh, yeah, yeah it was all about the white face mm-hmm. absolutely um, and so this is where we get to the possible hair falling out because right. of the lead being used. Um, but a lot of the historical accounts that we were reading were talking about the terrible um, consequences of this lead use on the skin. And they were talking about things like um, you, like facial numbness. Mm-hmm. You could lose feeling or lose nerve um, um, use sensitivity in, yeah, yeah. in those areas. And um, you, could, you could have like muscle twitching or muscle paralysis. And so you couldn't even move your face or, or wherever else. I think sort of the neck and maybe mm-hmm. chest a little bit. Um, and it could lead to death in the worst case scenario. So you were dying because of this uh, makeup use. But yeah, I thought, oh God, like how many women would have had paralyzed faces or, you know, it sort of mirrors today's like Botox. Yes. Use, right. I was just thinking that injecting poisons in their faces that are paralyzing muscles i mean and then i wonder if that face. contributed to this idea of the mask of youth mm-hmm. i mean really, as you true, say it's kind of true, a, a right? similar thing in our modern society I, the idea that you're literally paralyzing your face mm-hmm. into immobility in mm-hmm. this quest to look yeah. as young and un- yeah. unwrinkled as possible yeah. so yeah absolutely oh my goodness i know it's terrifying the mm. the links with today um and some people were also trying to hide things like pox scars right yes. because the scarring diseases would have been much more common at this yeah. time so again it would be wrinkles but also we mentioned in earlier periods medieval period that like this was a, a time of um not a lot of bathing and a <laughs> lot of disease a lot mm-hmm. of disfiguring disease mm-hmm. so these kinds of heavy face paints would you know, disguise some of these problems. Right. But, but then yeah. of course, probably it's like this vicious cycle where Cause it's other leading. problems. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the more, as again, the more you yep. use, the more you needed to use right. uh, exactly. to cover up what this stuff was doing to your face. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and some people still argue that today, right. With concealer or foundation that mm. you use it and then your pores get clogged and then you get acne and then you have to use more and yeah. this sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I th- it doesn't quite work that way anymore. Like, <laughs> well, it's not quite as deadly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Now it's just Pimples like aren't acne. as bad as uh, <laughs> lead poisoning. <laughs> but... <laughs> Facial paralysis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. But, but in almost all these situations, except maybe the Egyptians, um, these are worn almost exclusively by the elite so this is definitely a Mm -hmm. Mm class-based system and um yeah after the egyptians by women Mm -hmm. yes so Um, it's very gendered it's mm -hmm. very class-based um and there i have a sort of a footnote here aha in italy and france which emerged as sort of fashion leaders uh they swapped out lead which is great or arsenic. Eh, not so <laughs> great. not great. <laughs> so, so we would just take one terrible poison and replace it with another. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine them all being like, oh, this is the new thing. It, like, it won't damage you the way lead is. Arsenic is the arsenic. new thing in Perfect. cosmetics. <laughs> Everybody switch. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, um, and I thought it was interesting that at this point also, the French, French perfume industry starts to grow. Right. So connected with cosmetics as well. And then that's really kind of carried over to today, right? Mm-hmm. France is still a global perfume you know capital. center right yeah capital, exactly um right so right so we kind of you know the elizabethan era and then kind of leading up to that and i had been reading about um this all of this like heavy white face was definitely and again we should point out that most of this all of these kind of heavy makeup uses this was this was the upper classes the nobility yep. the peasants you know the lower classes for the most part were 
we're not doing this because just mm. simply because of you know what time did you have for painting heavy white lead paint, paint all over your right. face when you're and and to even be able to afford exactly makeup. to afford yeah. it to, it's a status yeah. symbol it's a right. you know not until the 20th century really does makeup yep. become the very again as an egyptian society it becomes again the very egalitarian mm-hmm. accessible thing that it is today right. right um and connected with work right to paint yourself as an upper class person pale means mm-hmm. you don't have to work outside exactly. in the sun where you're yep. getting a tan until like you say the 20th century when having leisure time to go outside like work has moved inside mm-hmm. so now you're pale because you have to work so much mm-hmm. if you have time to go out and tan then you're sort of golden bronze because you have this leisure time and yeah you can go on vacation so it's it kind of flips yeah uh, yeah it's interesting um so okay so we made through we move through the the elizabethan era and the renaissance and all of this and again it's kind of you know varying degrees of the white face and the you know the heavy makeup uh when we get to kind of revolutionary france um makeup especially this kind of heavy makeup, it goes by the wayside because it's seen as this status symbol of the wealthy and the noble and the royal and, you know, all of the people who have heavily painted faces are the people who are getting their heads removed from their shoulders. So <laughs> um, in terms of the popularity of makeup, yes. it kind of goes by the wayside. It and it's linked to corruption. Right? It's linked to corruption. And, and, yeah, exactly. Like not being truthful. Yeah, again, it's that idea of, tra- yeah, yes. it's falseness Deceit. and not trustworthy and all of this stuff so you see kind of throughout the um um, the regency period after the you know the revolution and napoleon and through all of this period i think in general makeup it's not used all that much or it's used sparingly you don't you just don't see that like heavy white lead Mm -hmm. face Mm -hmm. paint anymore that's Mm -hmm. kind of gone by this point and then we come up to the uh, victorian era and up to this point, I think maybe makeup to a certain degree was maybe used a little bit, a little bit of rouge, a little bit of uh, lip paint. But Queen Victoria uh, totally, you know, pushes all of this out by saying that makeup is just it's it's not anything that any virtuous woman would wear. Uh, the only people who should be wearing makeup are uh, actors mm-hmm. um so if you're on the stage you can get away with it but otherwise if you're painting your face you're just a prostitute <laughs> and um, actors were considered a little morally yeah, ambiguous as well exactly, yeah, so. a little shady yes definitely <laughs> definitely <laughs> absolutely so victoria had a big impact on the society's beauty standards just the way elizabeth did uh several hundred years before her and it's just not okay for women to overtly mm. wear any kind of makeup or change their face in any way. And the, the ideal was this kind of scrubbed clean look. Um, but of course, um, women there, there's still, you want a little, you want a little color in your cheeks. You want a little color in your lips and women had to resort to these kind of underhand, uh, <laughs> methods for getting some of these looks. So this was the era where, you know, you would pinch your cheeks or bite your lips to get the blood, you know, to come to the area to give you a little more color or, you would get such kind of subterfuges. This is my favorite tidbit for sure. Uh, women would go out and buy um, uh, wrapping paper. So like perhaps red uh, colored wrapping paper, which, you know, certainly she could go out. No questions asked of this lady <laughs> buying wrapping paper. She's probably wrapping gifts for her Dickensian Christmas. <laughs> and then she would take it home and cut it into little pieces and dampen them and then and then apply them to her lips to so that you would you would wet them and press them to your lips and the the moisture would release the dyes in the wrapping paper and you would get a little bit of a lip stain so so this wasn't an acknowledged or okay acceptable practice but women were doing it because you still like it just goes to show the kind of at least now we can kind of just be open about like, right. yeah, I, I right. put on lipstick and that's why my <laughs> lips are yes. are red. Um, you know, women are having, they're expected to be beautiful still in these ways to have, you know, rosy lips and, and a little bit of a blush, but they're not allowed to actually honestly <laughs> get that. They have to <laughs> pretend that it's just natural. It's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It's a whole thing. Um, oh, and then one other tidbit. Now, this is a little bit, it's not quite 
makeup, but it's close enough. The Victorians, you know, they're priding themselves on this honest, virtuous, clean face. But all the other things they're doing to their bodies, yeah, this is the <laughs> era that is probably the most constrictive in a lot of ways for yeah. women in terms of what they were wearing. These crazy corsets and just the mm. layers and layers of clothing, mm-hmm. like multiple mm-hmm. layers of petticoats and yeah. no bustles yeah. and no skin showing, like, mm-hmm. you know, ankles, goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> and one thing that I had not read before uh, doing our research for this episode um so gloves were supposed Mm. to be very tight like skin tight dainty gloves they were so small women had to squeeze their hands in so they actually had this (laughs) product called glove powder that i guess you would (laughs) apply maybe to to prevent moisture so that you could you could more easily get your dry hands and and they had glove stretchers so that you could (laughs) you could stretch the fingers out i guess enough to get your hands into these ridiculously skin tight gloves. That's crazy. So it's like powder in medical gloves then. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Exactly. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I know. I hadn't heard that. Oh gosh. Those crazy Victorians. Nuts. Yeah. And so again, no makeup for the Victorians, but they were all about the skincare. So, um, you know, you could maybe use a little bit of powder, but like also crazy, you know, lots of creams and, Mm. um, ointments and lotions and all this kind of thing were were starting to be marketed and and bought by women in this era. And then another point that one of the uh, resources we looked at was making was that at the same time that you were supposed to be doing less with your face and it was supposed to be bare, women were doing more and more with their hair. So this is another period where you're getting false hair and you could get basically (laughs) what are what we see now is extensions mm. and this is where you start to see like gibson girls have mm. you ever seen the illustrations the pictures of, of the gibson girl? And this is a little bit later in the victorian period uh, more kind of turn of the century but like that piled high mm. kind of pompadour look and of course i don't know why this never occurred to me before but of course that wasn't something that most women women could achieve with their regular hair they had all of these hair pieces and patchy things that you would <laughs> you would create this big updo with um so i liked that point that like the less women did with their face the more they were doing with their hair mm. so it kind of it always breaks out somehow yeah this, these energies need like somewhere to yeah land, somewhere to adorn some area to work on <laughs> absolutely so um so it, things kind of continue on in this in this way right up until um world war one um and at that point i mean goodness the war changed everything it's mm-hmm. you know as we all know it's a catalyst for a lot of a lot of things a lot of scientific and industrial advances and for more kind of currently modern thinking and after the war um just everything changed i mean hemlines were much higher women were cutting their hair and finally uh, it was becoming more and more socially acceptable to wear makeup, to overtly wear makeup, and to be seen doing it. And this is when we start to get mass-produced makeup that um, starts to become accessible at every price point for every woman. So it just it becomes one of those things that every woman is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of starts to become what we kind of recognize today is a lot of women um, are doing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it really takes on the size of an industry. Exactly. This because oh, before yeah. this is more, maybe you would have a per- perfumer or like a makeup supplier or something, but it, uh, it wouldn't be sort of this huge mass industry. Absolutely. And now, and now it is. And I like that you mentioned that it was now it's okay to overtly wear makeup. So mm-hmm. people, people can see that it's makeup that you're wearing because I had a note from a little bit earlier. So sort of between Victorian and this wartime period, um, beauty salons were starting to become popular uh, as women were sort of slowly allowed to do a little bit more, but admitting that you used beauty salons was not okay. So women would would have to go in the (laughs) back door. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wanted services, but you can't be seen to be using it. Um, So women would like go in the back door (laughs) so that people would see they were using beauty salons. And I thought that was really sort of clever. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty great. So it's kind of nice that finally in the twenties and then in the thirties, it's like, it's okay it's socially acceptable to be just out with it uh, mm-hmm. with your um, your makeup practices um so in terms of the the style of makeup during the 20s it was very much influenced by 
movies, which mm-hmm. was a brand new industry. And, um, of course, actors who made the jump from the stage to the screen, they brought with them their uh, makeup practices, heavy mm-hmm. makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost too heavy. What well, you know, yeah. movie actors today they they wear a lot of makeup but it's generally done in a in a more natural Very realistic kind of realistic yep. way yep. um at the beginning of movies they didn't they hadn't perfected that yet and they yes. were still wearing the kind of makeup that would <laughs> allow them to be seen from the stage in the back row whereas you don't necessarily need that when the camera is like five <laughs> inches from your right face there. Uh, so yep. a lot of that heavy pancake makeup um <laughs> and uh actually a, a big figure in makeup in the 20th century kind of comes into the picture at this point max Actor, who uh, was a man born in 1870s in Poland, and he's kind of considered the father of modern makeup. So he started uh, producing makeup for the theater and then also kind of made the transition into movies. And he came up with a kind of uh, stage paint, grease paint that did not cake and crack the Mm. way previous stage paint did. And eventually in the 20s, he introduced a public line with the kind of the idea that every girl can look like a movie star. Like a movie star, like yeah. a silent movie star. Exactly. I have a note here know. that he originally started making wigs. And that oh, yes. And he kind of got into the industry. So I wrote down, so wigger, Max Factor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's an accurate description wigger. of someone. What is the name for someone who... Um, a, a wiggery? Wigsmith? <laughs> I don't think there's a name for that. I don't know. Wigger. Wigger doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> I agree. I don't think it does. But I like it. I know you do. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Yeah, I like that. Poor Dana. <laughs> so, so the look in the 20s was that kind of silent movie look with the very, with you know, kind of shadowy eyes, what we would now call a smoky eye, smoky with eye. Um, with what they called rosebud lips, mm-hmm. so kind of small, um, rosy, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes very dark red mm-hmm. lips. Yeah. Um, so as the 20th century moved on, we get into the 30s, and we're starting to see the first, well, this is an unfortunate movement in cosmetics, mm. um, we're starting to see the first negative cosmetic ads. So the kind of thing where, you know, do you smell? Are your friends not telling you that you smell? <laughs> so that kind of thing. Are so, you not telling me I smell, Dana? <laughs> uh, I don't want to say anything, it's Heather. Like bit my tongue for this one. <laughs> Heather smells like a meadow. Oh, yay! <laughs> um, right, so we're seeing these kind of uh, manipulative mm. advertising that we really still see the, today, the idea that you've got flaws that need to be fixed yes. and we can help you do that if you buy our product. <laughs> yes, yes. This starts to come in, which is unfortunate. But, you know, this all kind of goes with 20th century mass production, mm-hmm. consumerism, mm-hmm. marketing, all of this kind the, of thing. The rise of, of advertising. Absolutely. Sort of yeah. Yeah. So by the 30s, as I said, this mass-produced makeup, it's widely accessible at all budgets. Um, now we hit World War II in 1939 and suddenly now makeup has become a, a big industry women everywhere are wearing it on a daily basis every class of woman is wearing it uh unfortunately the war hits and resources become very scarce and now this thing that like all of these women have become kind of addicted to (laughs) it's part of their daily lives it's become now much more difficult Mm. to get because the raw materials were scarce and needed for the war effort and actually i thought this was an interesting point that a lot of the manufacturers as many manufacturers of various things did during the war Mm -hmm. they switched over to making uh items for the war effort specifically for the military or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and the makeup industry was Hmm. the same and so Mm -hmm. instead of making lipsticks and eyeshadows and mascaras for women they were making things like foot powder for (laughs) army boots and trench foot (laughs) exactly you don't want that trench foot You really don't. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they switched over to making um, camouflage makeup palettes. I was just going to say. Like, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So women were kind of, you know, the makeup you could get, it's harder to find. It's mm. probably more expensive. Yeah. It's sold, sold in smaller packages. But it's still around. Mm. The appetite is, is still pretty uh, voracious. So although... Makeup is scarce. It's still very popular. And one of the big trends during the war, I love this, and it's one of my favorite kind of looks, as you well know, I think, Heather, um, is the bright red lip. Um, (laughs) And it actually becomes kind of a a symbol for the the war effort, the idea Hmm. that red is associated with 
a fighting spirit and victory and all of this kind of thing. So you get this kind of bright red, all the like red lipstick is what everyone is wearing. It's the, it's the big look. And I can't help but think of um, Agent Carter. <laughs> I knew she would make it in be- here. I knew you knew she would. <laughs> her beautiful red lips and her matching uh, nail polish. Just so glamorous. Um, so makeup was still really big for women it was almost kind of a symbol uh, which Hmm. is interesting especially given this little tidbit that I had never heard before apparently Hitler Hmm. hated makeup Mm. and the women in his circle were banned from wearing it interesting so another good reason to break out the red lipstick right (laughs) show Hitler who's who (laughs) show him what's what that's right (laughs) put him in his place (laughs) So uh, we get to the end of the war. Hurrah! The Allies have won. Right. Save the day. Um, of course, it's sadder and more complicated in many ways than that, <laughs> as we all know. Um, but we hit this kind of boom, this post-war boom of the uh, the late 40s and the 50s, where production is just booming and the soldiers have come home and they've started producing babies and Mm -hmm. it's just this whole thing so the men have come home from the front the women who were working in factories you know the kind of rosie the riveter we can do it spirit with their red lipstick they've been sent back home (laughs) (laughs) we go back to this kind of more patriarchal you know women in the home Mm. making babies and making bread kind of uh (laughs) ideal and we've got this this post-war luxury and a return to more traditional femininity so Mm. at this point um, again, makeup continues to boom. It gets bigger and bigger, and, and it starts really exploding at this point where you're getting many more colors, and it becomes, mm. you know, peach becomes big, and, like, pinks become big, and everything. Corals. Is, <laughs> corals, exactly. Yeah. Corals were big, yeah. And this is apparently the golden age of novelty compacts. <laughs> so <laughs> you get things like the the uh, eight ball compact oh god i've yeah. never heard of this before no it's, it was in a video i was watching they, they were showing this woman is just a collector of uh vintage makeups yeah. and what? she was showing off her collection of uh compacts from this period and you had things like yeah like a pool ball like a round <laughs> spherical ball that opened up and there was your compact or i liked this one hmm. it was a piano oh compact so in the shape of a grand piano okay. and it actually had little legs Oh. Which, if you needed to put your piano compact in your small evening bag, you okay. could fold down the legs <laughs> to fit it in your clutch. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it is. But hey, so, you know, so. <laughs> novelty I had compacts. No idea. You <laughs> never thought you'd ever say in the wor- in your life the words "the golden age of novelty compacts." <laughs> I was just waiting. <laughs> I was just waiting to say it. Your time has come. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so, also at this period, you get. Um, I don't know, just a more variety of, of devices and things. So like things like the Hollywood lip liner, which was this like wire stencil thing that you, oh could, you could put against what? your mouth to get the perfect, you know, that kind of Cupid's bow yes. lip where it's got the little uh-huh. dip in your, in your upper lip. Sounds um, so terrible. By this stencil to get it just right. <laughs> things like that. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> So right. as again, we're seeing bright colors for lips and cheeks and nails. And this is kind of when we're starting to see colorful eyeshadows, things like greens and blues. Mm. And again, you kind of think of, okay, so this is the era of the Ten Commandments. And you think of some of the, <laughs> <laughs> the women portrayed in the Ten Commandments with their insane blue and green eyeshadow. <laughs> but apparently the Egyptians were using yeah, that. Yeah, so it may have been very accurate. Yeah, it may yep. have been more accurate than we would have thought. That's true. I have um, a note here about this being the era, especially after the 1950s. Um, there, uh, there's a lot of competition in the industry. So mm-hmm. sort of the big names that we know today. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if you're going to get into this. I don't want to steal your thunder, but names like Revlon and mm-hmm. Maybelline come out. And I was interested to learn sort of some of the backstories of them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're from people's last names and that. And Maybelline uh, started with mascara because his sister had a formula that she Yes, created. I was going to talk about that. Yeah, okay, actually. okay. I don't so, want to steal all your, no, it's all your okay. thunder. But I thought it was neat that there was a lot of competition between the big names. And they oh, all yeah, kind absolutely. of come out of this time period. The mascara uh, product, I guess, is kind mm. of a little a bit of an interesting sidebar. Like we've seen throughout history, different methods for mm, uh, yep. darkening and kind of yep. lengthening and making eyelashes stand out. Um, so yeah, in the early 20th century is when you start to see mascaras marketed. And as you said, um, a man called T.L. Williams had a sister named Mabel, mm-hmm. and he discovered that she had concocted this this preparation for making her eyelashes darker 
and more defined. And she would use a mixture of petroleum jelly and some, it sounds like maybe people don't know for sure, but people speculate she was using petroleum jelly and coal dust. Mm -hmm. And she would use a little brush or comb to apply this to her (laughs) eyelashes and make them stand out. And he thought, wow, geez, this is something that I think lots of women would be into. So he started making this. He didn't, it didn't really take off um, at first until he kind of, I think he kind of fiddled with the formula. And then he he, he started using uh, a new product, mm. uh, Vaseline, ah. petroleum jelly, to make this product. And so he decided to give it a new name, uh, named Maybelline, after his okay. sister, and Vaseline. Vaseline. So that's ah. where the product name comes from. I thought awesome. that was pretty cool. Awesome. So, okay, so he's big with the mascara um, and other manufacturers are making mascara and we should point out that at this point mascara it's like a little it's like a little palette Mm -hmm. of um you know the black kind of jelly stuff or not jelly but you know kind of like we would see in a yeah or probably what you would see in like a a, um a cream eyeshadow today is i i imagine what it what it was like and it would come with this little brush that literally looked like a tiny little hairbrush almost and you would you would have to wet the brush and you know rub it against the mascara to get it on the brush and then you would you would scrape it against your eyelashes well it took um helena rubenstein who was a woman born in the 1870s in poland much like max factor And she had studied medicine. She had a kind of interlude where she brought uh, these kind of her products to Australia and was helping these poor Australian women with their rough, (laughs) reddened uh, complexions from the Australian outback, you know, giving them skincare routines and selling them her products. Well, she was the first in 1957 to come up with what we are now familiar with as modern mascara, the Hmm. wand mascara, which she called... I love this. She called it mascaramatic. <laughs> Excellent. That's pretty great, right? <laughs> now every time I put my mascara on, I'm gonna think mascaramatic. And it was a revelation because you didn't have to add water. Ah. It was just as we know it today, the tube with the wand down inside and you pull mm-hmm. it out and you're good to go. Ah. So thanks, Helena. That was a pretty <laughs> helpful uh I appreciate move. not having yeah. to wet my brush every time. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, we're seeing all of these people. We're also seeing um Charles Rebson, who was a big yep. name. He created Revlon. Um and one of his big specialties was many shades of nail polish, many more mm. shades of nail polish mm. than had previously been mm-hmm. seen. So thanks for that. Oh, I'd like to interject there on mm. the topic of nail polish and add that um earlier Henry Ford in the nineteen twenties, when he was working on oh, lacquer yes. for his vehicles, um, the lacquer sort of compositions um triggered uh, modern technology for nail polish. Yeah. So instead of dyeing your nails before or somehow painting them, you could now lacquer them. And so we have Henry Ford to thank for more modern nail polish. Well, thanks, Henry Ford. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so another kind of the the other big name at this period was a woman named Josephine Estelle Mensner, who had the nickname Estee, mm. and eventually married a man with the last name. Lauder. Uh-huh. So Estee Lauder um, started what became a huge empire for her in 1946 by selling her products in beauty parlors, beach clubs, resorts, and she sold a range of skin creams that were concocted by her chemist uncle. Hmm. And so she eventually, as I say, she apparently she was just the hardest working woman in the industry or person in the industry Mm. and outworked everyone else and just sold and sold and sold and managed to talk her way into a counter at Saks Fifth Avenue Mm. and just, you know, created this empire. And apparently right up until her health kind of prevented her from traveling so widely, she would make sure she was present at every new store or counter opening all over the world. You know, she would go to Moscow or wherever (laughs) to open a new counter. I'm not actually sure if she's, if she's still alive or Hmm. what, um, I think she'd be uh, pretty advanced in age at this Mm -hmm. point if she is still alive. So all of this is kind of going on mid century and we get into the sixties and we start to see, Oh, that's another good point. The fifties is this major trend towards traditional femininity and everything had to be just so the idea that you had to be perfectly made up when your husband came (laughs) home, you had to have your lipstick on and your heels Mm -hmm. and your big full skirt and just look (laughs) just so, well, of course, whenever you get anything like that, you get a backlash (laughs) before too long. And in the sixties, yes, thank goodness. 
in the 60s, we start to see the baby boomers. They're becoming teenagers and they are kind of stepping away from this very prescriptive, traditional, um, stiff kind of ideal of feminine beauty. And you start to see the more natural look and Mm. and twiggy is kind of a big um uh, influence of this period the a nude natural lip and big eyes so you start to see eyelash extensions false eyelashes were big in the 60s and like you know again dark heavy black eyeliner became in again and um you know a pale face otherwise but you would also see i guess at this period um you could buy a palette of um basically like face paint crayons i guess huh. <laughs> and this was for you know painting a daisy on your cheek or <laughs> <Of> <laughs> whatever else you wanted to do um so really at this point you know makeup just starts to become it explodes you can get mm. everything so many different colors so many different products and it only grows and grows we get into the 70s where we get the glam look the glam rock look with lots of sparkly color and the color palette moved you know from kind of more um flower power bright colors to you're seeing i love the way when author put it colors of bruised fruit oh god (laughs) russet and maroon and brown and kind of oranges and these kinds of shades and and we should point out that in the 70s you're starting to see finally again men Mm. making a little bit more of an inroad into (laughs) cosmetics because up to this point in the 20th century it was definitely seen as um very anti-masculine to be wearing anything <laughs> at all on your face you needed to be the marlboro man of manliness and the marlboro <laughs> man would never wear guy liner or anything like that <laughs> so uh, but in the 70s people like david bowie um mm, really started yeah. to to make it more okay the androgynous look became mm. more in and you did see some men wearing eyeliner um and other cosmetics and what's interesting is now i i was reading a couple articles and listening to a couple podcasts about the idea that makeup manufacturers now are kind of looking at men <laughs> as their next big target uh-huh. audience. And we are seeing lines of mm-hmm. skincare yep. regimens from yep. men more and more in the last number of years. And I, they're, I think they're kind of hoping that eventually they'll be able to push men into <laughs> buying more traditionally feminine products. Hmm. And I guess the, the first step into that has been you know, you can sell men on the idea of maybe concealing blemishes. So mm. things like concealers and foundations are, you know, perhaps starting to become more acceptable to mm. the modern, you know, perhaps a little bit metrosexual man. <laughs> Shading back into the Egyptian. I know, right? Before <laughs> okay. long, we'll all be wearing coal again. Coal, <laughs> big eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So I think that's that's about all. We've taken right up to the modern era. Of course, now as we said, you can you can get just about anything. And now it's interesting up until kind of the more modern period. And there's still, I mean, there is kind of a particular look to every era mm-hmm. that you notice. But at this point, it's much more kind of wide open. You can yeah. you can do all sorts of different things and and be in. Like mm-hmm. you know, vintage looks are very in right now, yeah. but. You know, it's totally acceptable to go with a more natural face mm-hmm. or, you know, the idea is you wear whatever colors you want or that you feel suit you. Mm. Um, and, of course, there has always been, and maybe more so now that it's a little more socially acceptable, the idea that women don't have to wear makeup. Right. And, yep. you know, you can choose to have a clean face and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you. So that's kind of nice. nice. Yeah, it is refreshing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We start to go our own way a little bit. Whatever, yeah. You know, the individual's preference. Exactly. It seems as though, yeah, makeup has become a little bit more individualized and mm-hmm. you can kind of choose what suits you. And I think that's true because you do see a lot of different kinds of looks now. I think it's not as like, you know, in the 20s where everybody had the kind of the, the dark eyes mm. and the rosebud lips or in the war period where everybody had red lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. now it's it's more people choose what they like and kind of pick and choose from all of these eras really that's kind of one of the defining things of our period right now i think is that you see people mimicking vintage Mm. looks that's kind of the thing to do that's neat 
It's almost a buffet. You can kind of choose yeah. from all the <gasps> Isn't that lovely? Oh. A makeup buffet. A buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'll go to, I'll go to work uh, Egyptianized tomorrow. Ooh, and I like that. Uh, the day after, I'll pull a 1940s wartime. I uh, like look. that. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think I might go with the um, with the heavy, dark flapper eyes tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Your office mates won't know what to make I know. <laughs> it's my Greta Garbo look. <laughs> You can very morosely do your job. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, we've gone on for quite a while about makeup. I don't have anything more. No, that's the end of my notes. Okay. So hopefully we've given you everything you could possibly want to know about makeup. (laughs) There's actually lots more to learn. There's some really great books out there. Uh, One of the sources that we've been using today is a, a makeup artist named Lisa Eldridge. And um, it seems as though she's a pretty well-known and um, well-regarded makeup artist in the industry. But what we kind of really like about her is that she's also uh, a historian and very much interested in both the history of makeup in terms of literally mm-hmm. the history of makeup, but also for its social, cultural importance. Yeah. And she has very recently released a book um, I believe it's called Face Paint, um, and it looks to be a pretty cool and vibrant and very, you know, photograph-heavy uh, look at makeup history. And so I'm going to, I think, look forward to reading that. Check that out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as always, we will post links to all of the resources that we've used for this podcast, so check those out. Feel free to contact us. Um, you can find our contact information posted somewhere near <laughs> wherever you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> we'll make sure that's available. And, you know, write in if you have questions or comments. Uh, constructive criticism <laughs> is very welcome. Uh, until next time, I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.